0: Alright folks, welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic Podcast. I'm your host Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now in this episode, my friend Deathmaster of the Mighty Doomsword returns and we chat about Frank Frazetta, of course, Michael Whalen, Elric, Art, new music from Doomsword, and an official announcement with fellow Metal Giants Eternal Champions. So you're going to want to listen to this till the end because Joe drops some nuggets you'll be interested in. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you would like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And without further ado, here you go. Here's a platform we can jump off of, Joe. This is something uh, i just like to ask all the guests at the beginning of the show. Take us back in time to when you were a youngster. Were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, I'm going to take that question and just flip two of the terms because then I have them in the right order. Gotcha. I think I started as a a book reader. I got into fantasy pretty young, you know, classics, Tolkien, first of all. And then I don't know, I, I always I was looking for something more extreme. My mother passed me tapes of the stuff she was listening to, namely Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. So that's what I grew up with. Four years old listening to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> And um, but then you know that stuff gets you so far. Then it was the 80s, and I wanted more. You know, mm-hmm. started developing this more kind of extreme personality, which is a trait of every metaler, if you wish, because it's an extreme kind of music. So it's because you want to reach beyond what mainstream culture is proposing. And so from there, reading more obscure or lesser known fantasy authors and listening to heavy metal became one thing you know
2: mm-hmm. like, uh,
1: to me heavy metal subculture is that it's not just the music it's uh, the whole thing you know the books you read and the music you listen to and the friendships you have and the way you live your life every day for me well, it was and, and heavy metal is life the rest mm-hmm. is like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> or things I absolutely need to do to get crossed of bread at the end of the month. You know? <laughs> yeah. In the beginning, it was definitely a book reader. I maintain my um, favorite fantasy author is Moorcock. My favorite character, Elric. And I'm very anxious to receive the very recently released. Mm,
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that.
1: Yeah, Citadel of Forgotten Myths. Um, I don't have it. I'm waiting for it.
0: (laughs) It's out now, right? Like it just came out the end of last year, I believe.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I only discovered like last week.
0: Yeah, I haven't read it myself either.
1: I get these emails from Amazon and... I read this title and went, wow, this sounds promising. And then Moorcock. Yeah. <laughs> it's really promising now. <laughs> <laughs> It was three heart attacks. But... <laughs> so yeah, I'm waiting for it. It's my birthday at the end of the month. So I guess that's how long I'm going to... <laughs> You know, it's funny
0: that you brought up Moorcock because, uh, let's see, on the 21st, I'm recording with Michael Wayland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> Let
1: me show you some. I have this book that was given to me years ago. It's a copy of The Vanishing Tower, a limited edition, and it's uh, something that I am just so in awe of. Oh. Spine of age, so you don't have to bear with me. It's uh, Michael Whelan drawings of the various scenes of The Vanishing Tower within the book. So it just makes it absolutely stunning. I think this is not stuff that can be readily available on the. Internet.
0: Yeah, I've never seen those.
1: Incredible
0: what's the uh what's the publisher
1: publisher is archville press
0: okay i'm gonna jot that down because that looks i'm gonna need to purchase that
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's crazy Uh, it's print autograph from michael wheel but it's the closest they get to (laughs) an autograph i'd be very curious to, uh, to ask michael a lot of questions but um i think i trust with the questions you have, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and um, I'll just enjoy enjoy the chat. I don't want to pester anyone. But I will tell you something. Michael Whelan changed my metal life. Really? For sure. Because I did not know uncle and I only bought them because of the <laughs> cover that he did. No other reason on earth, other than with a cover like that, it's got to be fucking great.
0: Yeah, they knew that as well. That's why they used it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I find um, I think we, we talked about this maybe in our previous chat about the um, this idea I have that there are perfect couplings between an illustrator and the artistic content it not, doesn't necessarily have to be a, a band could right. be a book. for example the Lance editions of Conan the Barbarian with the Frazetta paintings but uh, I mean one one of these couples, if not probably the best couple of all time, is Saritango with Michael Wilton. They're just, oh, <laughs> wow, how high can you go with marrying two things that go so well together?
0: Yeah, uh, it's like Waylon and Frazetta are right there, and it's, I put those two on the same frequency, I guess.
1: Yeah, so you name Frazetta, you tell me what minute into the chat we are, because my, my guess was four minutes. <laughs> Well, we
0: made it 17 minutes because we were talking about Michael Whalen first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Making a point not to make this chat about Frazetta.
0: I guess going to circle back eventually. <laughs>
1: yes. So book reader, meddler, and then, you know, you said uh, floor builder and troublemaker. Troublemaker then, because, I mean, I was never a criminal, so let's not pretend I uh, was ever anything beyond a bit of an annoying brat at <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the extent of my troublemaking but you know not wanting even to get a, a proper job right. or whatever because you had to you had to lead a metal life so what did i what did i do i got four of my friends together we bought a record shop uh, it was called riffraff he owned it for, for six years and I remember, the thing is, that was our, uh, that was our local, my first heavy metal shop I ever went in. And I kind of said to myself, I'm going to own this place one day. It, it didn't end so well. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for five or six years, it was, it was uh, good fun. And I remember that, um, so we, we had recorded the first Toonsert album in this, in this place that didn't really have a name. And then the sound engineer became part of the group of people that decided to, by the record shop because it was for sale so yeah we, we started to put things in motion and we decided look let's not just own a record shop let's combine forces let's also own a label and a recording studio we needed premises when we went to inspect a shop it had a basement mm-hmm. it was huge well not looking not in, not enormous but big and um, it was full of uh, garbage. But within the garbage, <laughs> there was also test pressing of rare albums, all sorts of st- stuff. So it, it, we decided to clear it all up and then build a partition wall and make one half the price in the other the, uh, direction. We transferred the uh, all the equipment from the old place to the basement. And we called it a Conquest Studio. And that's where we recorded three albums, the three following albums so res the horn and the battle commence and uh, money with
0: while we're on the subject of doom sword why don't you just uh, tell us how the reissues came to be how did that get started and what's well, coming up
1: the, so this is the reissue of the first album you might have seen the
0: box. Mm, beautiful
1: uh, with the flag and everything by Chris no remorse in Greece it, did a great job of it. Um I, I didn't really have any say. I was happy with it, but uh, it was entirely uh, business, entirely conducted between underground Symphony. So, as far as the reissue of the first album was, I very much I got told <laughs> it's happening. And as I said, very happy. As for the demos, this goes back to. 2019, when, after Mark Shelton died, Oliver, the organizer of Keep It True, and uh, Brian in Manila Road, head they, roadie. They got together and they, they decided, you know, we'll, we'll have a tribute. We'll make it the headliner of the entire festival. And they said, let's, let's invite musicians that we know Mark considered to be friends. And they called me and I was extremely flattered and honored. They thought of me. We decided to meet a couple of days before the gig to rehearse in person because everybody studied their own parts at home, which wasn't difficult. <laughs> really, for me, the only thing that I needed to do was not have any bits in the lyrics where I go na-na-na. <laughs> <laughs> I knew everything. Right. Uh, I just, you know, sometimes you don't know all of the lyrics off by art. Right. So I just had to, to make sure that I had them. We, we met. And we started playing, and I got on really well with Phil, bass player from Manila Road at the time of uh, Mark's death, uh, Phil Ross. And he owns this label called Post-Mortem Apocalypse. So we stayed in touch, and I can I can say that, you know, that it's a friendship. He's such a great guy. So serious, so committed to the cause, you know, he wanted to do something special. So we set out set out to do something special, you know, something that uh, our, our intent was... To release this demo in, in a format that we know Doomsor Dooms the fans would appreciate, namely a vinyl. Um but with something in it that would make it special, you know, like the biography booklet with the biography and details that otherwise people wouldn't really be able to know and learn about us. Basically something that was special that would motivate you to buy it and then wouldn't feel like it was a money grab. Right. Rather just literally celebrating, giving as much to the, to the buyer as possible. You know, exactly, rare pictures, that kind of stuff. I think it's pretty amazing the way it turned out. The, the unique kind of material that Phil uses as the as the cover, which feels like uh, I don't know, clothes, <laughs> nearly. A, it's very cottony feeling, very, very uh, unique. I didn't ever come across something like that. I thought I made it special to the last, you know, to the last detail. And to be honest, the feedback was amazing. Everyone loved it. And you know, Phil had to redo the mastering twice because we we wanted to to give the best possible. At the end of the day, it's a it's a demo. You want to listen to it, and you want to get the best experience possible. So we we needed to make the best out of uh, of a tape that was recorded in dreadful conditions, more dreadful equipment. I remember Guardian Angel the first, the other founder of insert. I remember in the book, he said the R four four track uh, recorder only had one special effect. And that was a lot of background noise. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it needed to be denoised a bit. I don't know how much it could be done, more than what we did. But we, uh, I can assure everyone what they're listening to, is the absolute best we could do <laughs> after the you know the owning the um, record shop and, and studio years uh, also came the the floor floor builder in the sense that i um i managed to get into with the old owner of the shop i managed to get into uh, helping out with uh, organizing with the actual practical help with building stages and carrying equipment the logistics basically for some gigs that he was organizing. And that got me to meet all these people in person. Like I remember at the time, mid nineties, my favorite band was Iced Earth. I was just in love with all their stuff. And I remember they came to, to play in Italy, supported by Nevermore. And I was mad. I liked Nevermore, but I really loved Sanctuary. And I remember that particular time we were taking care of logistics and the shuttle that used to, the work that's uh, bringing the artists from the venue to the hotel and back, I broke down. So I had to do it with my car, which was <laughs> a right banger.
2: <laughs>
1: and I had, I had John Schaffer and Warrell Dane in my banger. <laughs> and I was bringing them. <laughs> to the hotel <laughs> so you know if it's the equivalent of like someone saying this this particular person is my artistic idol and you go okay no picture you own a banger of a car <laughs> 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 how does that feel completely surreal
0: <laughs> i'm sure they appreciated yeah. the lift <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so they did, they did. I did it with all the bands. I, I got to meet a fair few musicians. I also got to watch a lot of gigs for free.
0: So what about your parents, Joe? Were they uh, Were they involved with musically with anything? Were they involved in the arts? What were they doing?
1: My parents, so my dad was from Naples in Southern Italy. No, he was not involved with anything. But like every Neapolitan, uh, can sing very well a bit like of like I don't know if the whole of Italy can sing but my father could and the majority of Neapolitans can so kind of got the tone of my voice from the the southern Italian kind of root and in fact If you think of the intro of the first album, there's that solo intro. It's just voice, right? For I am your God. That's very much inspired by a Neapolitan song, and nobody knows that. Which one? (laughs) Neapolitan songs are all about love. (laughs) Uh, Love or the sun, but most 90% love, and then 10% about pleasures of (laughs) love. (laughs) <laughs> but not very tragic and that intro is uh quite uh explicitly inspired by uh, by a love song and a neapolitan love song so that was my dad's kind of influence mm. on me and my mother then was a, a, a good painter but she is still a good painter and they, they both my parents were painters but my mother i think i feel was a little better so i got my love for visual arts from uh, from that and they pushed for me to learn the piano when I was six. So that that gave me an, an amazing foundation in terms of, you know, if you think Italy of the early 80s, learning piano means, you know, learning the whole theory and very formal and strict. And, uh, you know, I was a proper gym for someone who wants to become a musician. Problem is that then 10 years later, I could play the piano decently well, but all I wanted to do was plug in the guitar <laughs> and, and I couldn't and i didn't have the money to buy a guitar so i had to earn it so i remember that my dad said uh, gonna um, buy a guitar look your uncle needs help there in the warehouse unloading trucks you go there and you get your money no problem in those days this was classic southern italian that's gonna build character approach right Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, i don't know that a bit but i got my
0: guitar (laughs) you got the
1: guitar that's the goal (laughs) So yeah, that was that was great. I got my first guitar. It must have must have been something like the equivalent of three hundred dollars nowadays. Thirty something years ago.
0: You still play piano?
1: I have a keyboard around, and I am. Is it a terrible pun to say that I'm handy? <laughs> <laughs> <What>?
0: Handy with <laughs> a keyboard? <laughs>
1: uh, I survived the terrible <laughs> pun test. <laughs> yeah, I'm handy. I lost a bit of, I'm so kind of guitarified as a musician that I lost a bit of that multitasking ability that I had with my hands, one one hand to do one thing and the other to do a completely different thing. Because it's the exact opposite of the guitar where the two hands need to be absolutely synchronized. So yeah, but, um, but I, I'm good enough to, uh, I don't know, play keyboard parts and songs i write or if we want to put a bit of keyboard part in a, in a song and i could do it we don't normally there's a lot of Doomsday stuff that has been written and never made it to being recorded i think i mentioned in our pre- in, in our first chat that uh, i might easily have another two three yeah, yeah. Uh, or albums that never got so on um, you might
0: you're gonna cause fans to have some gray hairs if they're listening to
1: this <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're gonna have pitchforks and torches at your door. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it all came from uh, Manowar writing, you know, no synthesizers or whatever. But I don't think they ever meant it in a no instrument that has keys <laughs> was ever played on the sound. because there was uh, piano parts, and especially in later albums, I think they just meant we don't do electronic stuff. Problem is that we, well, my group of of friends, and I would say possibly all Italians, took it very, very literally. Like Mm. it was, you shall never have (laughs) a a keyboard (laughs) in your heavy metal band. Yeah. So that's that's how uh, Doomster were. Just like we are never, ever, (laughs) ever going to put a keyboard part in us.
0: You can always start a side project if you want to go, you know, solo keyboardist or whatever. (laughs) Oh, yeah?
1: (laughs) Well, I actually have stuff for a side project. I intend to release it sometime because it's interesting. It's interesting because it's five songs. It's not even an album. It's five songs. Uh, It's called Night of the Sorcerers. I'm interested. I call it the Death Master Project. I'll probably call it that. (laughs) The closest thing I can think of is uh, a more 70s, slightly more 70s Merciful Fate. And it's based around the fantasy story I wrote, in which all sorts of events occur in a single night, uh, in which s- sorcerers, wizards of every kind are up to no good. But I wouldn't want to reveal too much because understood. I think it, it's got an, an original twist and anything more i say would be a horrible spoiler but the bottom line is that the moment i do eventually manage to uh, release this and consider i wrote the first song in 2006 so it's now 17 years i said i'm going to release it <laughs> but uh yeah it'll come out with a with a with a little book. The oh, I, I like that. A bit like, um, what was the Manila Road? Mark Shelton's uh, side project in which he... <sighs> yeah, I got you. Off as, uh, hell, hell.
0: <laughs> While we're on the subject of uh, side projects, I do have a couple of questions here from a fan named from a fan named Sam. And if I don't ask him, Sam will be upset. So here we go. Sam asks joe you're gonna have to help me out i'm probably gonna uh butcher this pronunciation but <laughs> will there ever be a new album of the galler thorn side project yellow horn Gjaller horn okay there we go will there ever be another album
1: the intention is 100 there i even wrote some stuff but um the logistics of it are difficult to pull off but i'm getting to the point where i'm like you know fuck. It. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <and> go, <laughs> we all get there by myself and, and ask my because the drummer on Galahorn is the, the Doomsword drummer who now owns a studio so if I manage to put the whole musical like the, all of the instruments together and then he can just add the drums I suppose like many other times when these questions were asked about Doomsword or side projects the, the answer is Yes, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Arm yourself with patience, because it's Doom Sword we're talking about. It's me we're talking about, and uh, <laughs> yeah, my speed is legendary. <laughs> all the wrong reasons.
0: Everyone out there, just be patient. It's coming. And another question from Sam is, can we expect Doom Sword to ever play live again in their homeland?
1: In Italy? mm mm-hmm. Yes, but when? So, we've had people asking us to play continuously for years and years and years and so we're now 12 years overdue releasing an album and there's still people asking us to play and I've managed to basically tell everyone look we want to focus on the album so we're not gonna play until we have an album out that's the first hurdle to get that album out then we can think about playing live. yeah the reality is we've played three times in our history in Italy and we also never played, it, like, the southernmost we went was Milan, pretty far north. It's about as north as they go in terms of places where to go play. So my wish is for one day to be able to play Rome or Central Italy, so somewhere where it would suit a lot of people. We've been <laughs> naughty towards our Italian <laughs> Well,
0: I think that answers Sam's questions.
1: Thank you, Sam, for the... And
0: the, Thank you, the, yes course just to backtrack a little bit joe obviously you're a painter you're a writer musician when you go back to being a kid when do you start experimenting creatively which one comes first
1: i always drew continuously mm. you know, when your desk in school is completely covered in doodles <laughs> that was me and that considering i started school six years of age and immediately i started learning the piano i would say music and, and art came at the same time. Six years ago. But the thing is they've never been my primary occupation because it turned out I was pretty good at, at maths and science. So immediately like your parents or at least my parents would never say, "After you go to art school <laughs> <laughs> become a painter, you know <laughs> <laughs> no way. So it was the it was a more scientific direction I took. While I thought I was always decent at it, I also never made it my primary sort of activity. Uh, but but I but I do want to acknowledge the fact that you know while my parents were trying to think about me and my career and being able to hold a steady job, they also very much encouraged me to nourish my artistic side. They never got in the way they just stopped at the point where you know no you're not going to art school other than that if you want colors (laughs) i'll buy them (laughs) yeah very very young six years of age and as i said my parents were also painters so
0: i just jump into when you have an when you have an idea for a painting or an illustration today do you change on the fly If you say, like, maybe I don't like this piece here, do you have a concrete image in your head and that's what you're trying to work to towards the end?
1: There's both. And that's the same with with music as well. There's times where I'm very much convinced about a concept and I uh, put it down and that's it. And then other times I keep changing because all I want to do is experiment and learn. So, for example, uh, I don't want to see this guy. Yeah, I can see it so that w- that was my first I-, I just got a set of acrylic paints i wanted to l- to learn how to use them uh, so i had done this thing i called it the mound there's like a yeah a horn skull on a, on, on a mound so then I'd, this was the kind of final product so that was very much like a, a planned process it's very rare that i would do a sketch and preliminary for painting and then on the complete opposite side, I got another set of a credit cards. It was my first time using mm. it. So the, the first ones I was happy, but I was borrowing my daughter's cards. <laughs> <laughs> so I, just, I got my own set, and uh, I, I have no idea where it's coming from. And I changed a couple of things in it a number of times. So there's both. There you go. There's the instinctual, kind of spontaneous. There's another uh, kind of spur of the moment thing. And if you see, this guy is pretty angry. And yeah. What would you call it? A necklace in, in his hand. Uh, he has just retrieved from someone since his sword is still bloody. So I called it, that's mine. And that's the PG rated <laughs> version. Yeah. The, the title. As for, you know, on a daily basis, there, what I do is when, when I have sometime in the evening I'm relaxing, maybe watching a show on on Netflix or what have you, I would sit down and do, you know, all sorts of sketches. And that's all while watching, I don't know, The Walking Dead.
0: That seems otherworldly to me because I I could put six hours into attempting to draw something, and it would look like a kindergartner did it. You know, it's just this is not something that's <laughs> in my wheelhouse.
1: Well, I don't consider myself to be much of a of an artist. I'll, I'll be very very honest, but I give it a go and I like it, which which is all that matters really. But. As for any aspiring artist, which includes me, I'm not giving advice as an accomplished artist. I'm giving advice as one of you who is trying to become something. I think at the basics, uh, the basis of learning, there's chunking. So. You need to decompose every problem in its kind of basic units and start from there and repeat the path of the ones you admire because you won't have an identical result you are you and the people you admire are is is them <laughs> and you're not them so and and that's good because the the word is beautiful because it's varied. if i think for example about frazetta he you know he was Learning to draw, and someone said, Look, you're really poor on the anatomy, you need to learn it. And he got this book by uh, Bridgman called Constructive Anatomy. He studied it over one night, did it all, woke up basically, got up the next morning from his desk or whatever, wherever he was working, and announced, I know anatomy, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. That's because that was Brazetta. He could mm. learn anatomy in one night. That's for us mortals. We need to. Uh, to do the same thing but it will take us longer because in the end that's what i think is the definition of talent is not your ability to learn something but just how quickly you're going to do it. right it's really it because if you persist at it there's no chance you're not going to learn it. and you, you are that's what i would say start with uh, start with the basics if it's anatomy you're interesting the constructive anatomy is your perfect starting point because it's teaches you to draw figures in blocks you know like Mm -hmm. like they're little wooden blocks that give an idea of what the basic masses are and you take it from there it's the same thing as learning scales on an instrument
0: i don't know if you want to mention this joe so we can cut this out if you don't want to but uh we're talking about Frazetta. I know you had some dealings with Sarah after we talked, and you guys reached something, so...
1: Yeah, so it, it's good news, but I would say that because it's good news, I won't reveal much more. Got it. So <laughs> <we> leave it. <laughs> it's all good.
0: I know last time we spoke, uh, you mentioned The Broken Sword. Now, I have purchased it, but I haven't read it yet. Paul Anderson. So I know you mentioned that one, but I wanted to ask you what are some other stories that come to mind when you think about the ones that you always go back to you know your desert island sword and sorcery stories
1: uh funnily enough uh these days i do a lot of driving with the kids dropping them to activities and i am a a good way to spend your time in the car to listen to audiobooks so i'm playing the the whole barsoom series to my daughter Mm. uh, john carter and it's it's got to be one of the best things I've ever written in terms of how the story is so gripping. And I don't know, is it because I listen, read books, always with the mind of a painter musician that, that goes, I, I know how to put this on a canvas and what music will go with that. But I find that that, that material Here. is very, very inspirational. Probably I don't know, is it is it the first sword and planet? Difficult to say, but you know, it's one of them. If pioneering. <laughs> so that's one. Definitely Eggarh uh, Boris, Princess of Mars and all the Barsoom books.
0: Are you a Carl Edward Wagner fan?
1: So I've been skirting around Wagner for a long time. And never found a uh, the time to read it. I know that it's great because I see the paintings, Frasetta's paintings, Bloodstone, and I'm, I'm there going, to ah, we've got to read this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You'll love it. Uh, I can guarantee it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I know Jason and Tournament Champion <laughs> mentioned it uh, to me. So I'm I'm trusting your opinion and his that it's great stuff. So I definitely have to get around to reading it. Well, obviously we waiting anxiously about for the Morcock book to arrive. Um, But if you're talking island, uh, aside from the old Eric stuff, I will bring Treasure Island. I remember uh, my daughter, who's 11, also read it. Well, read a kind of a dumbed down version uh, for primary school. And she said something to me. She said, I was a bit confused by the story because there's this villain character and he's a villain, but I like him. (laughs) And I was there, I was there going, that is the entire point of that book. Everybody loves Long John Silver. Right. And how the author managed to make the villain of the book one of the most loved characters in, in literature is just genius. I mean, he's an, an actual bastard, but <laughs> you root for him because he's, you know, he's just, his intelligence is his, he's so charismatic, you know? And he's like the prototype pirate, you know, with one leg and one eye and parrot on parrot on the shoulder. So it's... Uh, Definitely pinnacle in terms of uh, character uniqueness and, um, and strength, you know. And, and I was actually proud of my daughter that she made that comment because that's that's a very um, very on point, you know. That, yeah. Yeah. That's it. You're not supposed to like him, but you love. Him. <laughs> What was your
0: intro into the genre of sword and sorcery? Obviously, you know, you're probably introduced to stuff like Treasure Island first, and then when you discover it yourself, what, what was that uh, first story, if you recall?
1: The Lord of the Rings was my first proper sword and sorcery book, or fantasy, really. Uh, Robert Howard came afterwards. I still prefer him. I think it's probably to do with the fact that, like a lot of people, I lean towards an ADHD approach towards stories, and uh, I prefer the short story to the Mm long-drawn-out fantasy material. In fact, I love The Hour of the Dragon, but I prefer The Scarlet Citadel, because it's like the short version. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) with you and uh, when i think about the arrow of the dragon i just think look you could have split this in two <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's yeah. my go-to howard is solomon kane for that reason because most of those stories are just real digestible and real fun short to the point
1: yeah absolutely i love solomon kane i really do so, yeah, those my formation, really. Other than that, if you can call fantasy or sword and sorcery any form of mythology, because uh, since I was a little kid, I was just mad for Norse mythology. I read them like they were bedtime stories, you know? But they're so entertaining. They're, they're, they're so full of twists. They're so original. The, the imagery is so strong. I don't know why other mythologies weren't full of dragons and swords the same as as norse mythology was and also one one big source of inspiration for me was general uh, dungeons and dragons you know? mm. dungeons and dragons it's this kind of timeless placeless fantasy world where magic exists and you, you become less Interested in the lore of of the world and just interested in the adventure actually didn't mention it up until this point But playing RPGs with my friends with metal blasting in the background (laughs) Big 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 part of of my youth.
0: What do you uh, I meant to ask you this when you said it earlier But what do you think it is about Moorcock and Elric specifically that speaks to you so much?
1: I think it's the anti-hero. I love heroic tales but I don't love, you know,
0: good uh, guys like you're saying, like yeah. goody two shoes.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, that's kind of what, in the end, after having read so much, put me off talking a little bit. It became a little bit fairy tale uh, with the.
0: There's no gray area, you know.
1: Fairy footed hobbit uh, being the hero. That kind of put me off. I was more into. To me, if Elric was around now, he'd be like a criminal biker, and and that I can relate to more. Right, um, and I think metalers can as well in general. This, I don't know if it's just me, or will turn out <laughs> <I'm> extremely <laughs> repressed <laughs> <laughs> that every other metaler is actually very confident, it's self assured, and it was just me. But, um, no, if, if, if you think of metalers in general, especially in the olden days, I think nowadays it's changed a lot. In the origins, metalers were like fringe of society people misunderstood, you know, trying to rebel against a system that didn't work for them. Is it only supported one way of living your life in a certain sort of path, you know, get a steady job from the uh, settle down, uh, start a family, retire. You know. And then there was metalers, people who have, who actually generally have a lot of brains, a lot of imagination, a lot of unresolved and unexpressed creativity. They yearn for more, which is why fantasy works so well because it's a lot of escapism. You know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, to put it in a in a very dumbed down way, it's like, oh, I wish I was a warrior. <laughs> with a sword, and going around killing evil wizards, rather than you know, stalking shed. Whereas it doesn't seem to be there for people who don't listen to it because <laughs> they just, just wait for Friday night uh, and yeah. get pissed in the, in a pub. You know, <laughs> uh, for us instead, it was it was different. It was more to do with finding finding a better world within ourselves because it didn't exist outside. Right. Uh, it was all in, in our brains. That's what I try to express in the song, Days of High Adventure, that, you know, when I say our weapons in our heart more than in our hands not really going around with swords it's in our heart with what we feel is really our strength you know that's it i don't even know what the question was but me
0: question. neither
1: <laughs> well said good place <laughs> that was great
0: while we're just on writing you know when you're writing yourself what does your what is your pre-writing process look like do you are you in a heavy outline or do you just like to sit down and see where things go
1: it can happen a number of ways i read something i like and might write <laughs> song about it or if I read something I like, and then I know there's a painting exists of it, I do a lot of visually inspired compositions in that, and I think we, we touched back in our first chat on this, I have my own kind of little theory that images can be translated into music because each color and uh, general pace of the picture gives you an idea of the tempo of the song, The if the colors are warm or or cool, it's a different atmosphere you convey. And then, you know, where fantasy pictures like Frazetta, there's a lot of darkness and then there's these bright spots. So those to me are more easily represented by the high tones of a high pitched vocal or a guitar solo or a piercing lead, you know. I can be pretty systematic about that. You know, looking at a picture and going, okay, the general atmosphere is this. If you take the Steeler. There's a lot of stuff happening, it's very chaotic, so it suggests in the middle of a battle so battles never never been slow that i know aside from well, obviously the moving phase but when we when you're in the heat of it it suggests that there should be a lot of a lot happening from a lot of sides you know and then you know it's generally very dark but there's bright spots here and there so you can interpret those as uh the, the high pitched parts of your composition that's something that comes quite natural to me if i Look at a picture and go, I'm going to I'm gonna put this into music. It's one thing that, will, that might happen. Other times, I start from the lyrics. I have an unfinished novel that I managed to translate parts of it into music. And it is going to be included in the next album. The title might not be the most original, but it does re- summarize the entire novel pretty well. And it's called Fire Iron Rules. Yeah, as I said, we, we listen to it, it might, might sound a little bit cheesy, but then give it a go <laughs> once it's out and uh, uh, you won't regret it and in a few words it's the story of a a monk during in this kind of alternative fantasy history a monk during the uh, invasion of the Longobards of italy a monk that performs the reverse conversion uh-huh. so goes from being christian to pagan and in the story you'll find out why that's one Source of inspiration.
0: That so, out of all of your uh, creative endeavors, be it a a picture that you've painted, or uh, recording music, or writing a story, which project have you undertaken that you would say has been the most challenging? Is there one that you lost the most sleep over, or pulled your hair out over?
1: The novel, because it's not finished. And I think if I think back at *Earth Doom, sir and I think about my accent being really, really bad being able to hear it and my musicianship being less than what i would like it to be i personally have that tinsy bit of cringe back and go what (laughs) but at the time i didn't i was young and uh i didn't care and anyway i didn't know any better i thought it was good
0: (laughs) i mean it is good
1: Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I would have pulled my hair out back then had I had the awareness that I have now. But that instead is what's happening with the novel because I am now a little bit self-conscious. No? I'm not English speaker natively. I'm not. I'm writing in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I trying to do what Italians call doing a step that's longer than your leg so that's the bit where I'm going I don't know am I a good story writer people will think it's amateur stuff the English of it is poor so that's that's where I am with it But a good song came out of it so it's not all all is not
0: lost I haven't told you face to face just tell you thank you for the uh, the painting of ob you know my wife really oh, loved uh, it and you know I still have it as my cover, so I'm going to have to get a big blow-up painting of it one day and hang it up on the mantel. Just wanted to thank you for Very doing good. taking your time to do that.
1: That was my, um, I was experimenting with a graphic tablet. As I said, I, I do a lot of doodling during in the evening and didn't want to waste a lot of paper. Plus, you know, digital has the undeniable advantage of the undo. You can't do on paper. You can, you can undo traditionally. But it's just a lot of more difficult right? Not more war. so it's great for prototyping you know for like uh, coming up with ideas and putting it together and going I-, I like this enough that I might try to put it on a canvas mm-hmm. but your image of old dog was so vivid and it just came so naturally
0: it looks exactly how I pictured him which is what really blew my mind when you showed it to me
1: <laughs> you know it just goes to show how well you described it <laughs> well thank you and because it, we both both thought the same thing and, mm. you know you've got to give it to the description it was extremely effective and uh, very detailed i love this sort of creature that could is like a god in the sense that it exists since before anybody can mm-hmm. tell but it it isn't a god in the sense of in the spiritual sense of the of the world right more like an uh, as far as we know eternal being
0: that exists outside of our own understanding of things you know exactly
1: mm-hmm. exactly oh man that was that was some um, some piece of writing i am telling you thank
0: you man thank you I really enjoyed it. i'm glad uh, you enjoyed I, it
1: i told you i am i am a fan and i don't lie <laughs> I, I, I really am
0: <laughs> thank you thank you i'm i'm working on a Ab origin novella so oh. that's something yeah story. yeah exactly and i don't even have it so like if you ask me who or what ob is right now i have like i have i don't know <laughs> i just have pieces of what he is you know and i have an idea of what he is i have a, a couple short stories in which he appears but i don't even know concretely what he is right now
1: he could be the antimatter counterpart of the same being named paul <laughs>
0: Yes, that's what I'm gonna let me write that down. Bob and Ob. The adventures of Bob and Ob. That would be great. Uh, That's like the gray mouser, you know? (laughs) So, okay. uh, This is something I like. This is something I like to ask everybody, Joe. You never know what folks are gonna say, so. Have you ever had an experience in your life that you would consider supernatural or paranormal?
1: I obviously, it could have been anything, but um, we were having, we were grilling meat near this church, which is right slap bang in the woods. It's kind of a sanctuary. And we made it a habit of um, going there with some chopped wood Digging a hole in the ground and burning some wood, and then cooking the, the meat on the on the on the embers. You know? mm-hmm. Because it was pine wood, actually, it gives meat an amazing flavor. Nearby, there was like an opening. The place is spooky on a good day, <laughs> and I don't know why I ventured off, but. I did and it was completely dark there was absolutely no artificial light all around was covered it's basically forests everywhere except for this kind of opening flat opening uh, with a grass meadow and i swear i saw what looked to me like a kind of a procession that didn't last very long and it was a a figure with could have been like a to my mind it was like a flaming torch you know Mm -hmm. but it lasted far too short for it to be like it, it, if there it was a physical group of people doing that and why the heck were they in the woods <laughs> doing that but if if it was they could not have disappeared that fast so that's the only time but uh, i do have to come with with a big disclaimer of the quantity of alcohol that was consumed <laughs> uh, i do not discount just playing senior moment you know having said that even though i might have been a little bit merry i think if it was the alcohol i wouldn't remember it so well so yeah that would be that would be my aim.
0: just to put a bow on everything before we wrap up here what's on the horizon for you You know the mob's gonna come after me if i don't look at you and ask what's the update on a new album <laughs> 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 i have uh, to ask
1: it. i would like to say we are recording and uh, there's definitely people in the process of entering a room with instruments <laughs> and recording music. This is happening right now. So that what that also means is obviously the songs are done. They are there might be a little bit of work on them while we are in the studio, but the songwriting is done. The lyrics are written, melodies are there. It's just a matter of um, getting it done. At the same time, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this as a a kind of a wishful thinking more than anything, recording an album should never be a long process because uh, it, it starts like overworking a painting you end up ruining it it should be like enter recorded you can give it a second pass later on but never let it linger and fester it goes bad it goes off it's like <laughs> you know, milk. don't don't do that exactly uh, especially because you you lose the moment in time when you were doing that it becomes uh, sp- spread over a number of periods and your mentality changes your your you change and nothing good's gonna come of uh, that process. Mm-hmm. Got an album, go and record it. So that's one what we're trying.
0: And uh, since you mentioned his name earlier, I'm not going to elaborate any further. But I'm just going to say, Jason. Anything there, or you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah there is there is a, a, a little surprise coming. Things are going much slower than I would like them to, uh, because at this point. Getting the damned album is our absolute priority because it was two years ago I announced that we were done with songwriting, with the kind of basic drafts of the songs, and we were going to work on them as a band and prepare them for recording. And I know we had our fair share of um, incidents and and mishaps uh, that delayed things out of our control. But we're, you know, at this point we already gotta go, you know enough excuses. I know people get injured, I know the weather gets bad, but we've got to record this. But that's it. There is something coming with us and Eternal Champion, and um, it's definitely happening. It's going to be absolutely great.
0: That's what we're looking for. All right, man. Well, Joe, let's not wait another two years before we uh, chat again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to let you go get some dinner. I know you're probably tired.
1: Yeah, well, but that's that's a kind of a always. <laughs> I got I got this disease called kids. Uh, <laughs> listen, Justin, thanks a minute for always a real pleasure talking to you. I'm looking forward to uh, more of your material.
0: I'm probably going to hold this until after I release Michael Whalen. So, because sure. I just mentioned it, so of course when I release it, people are going to be like, well, "Where's Michael Whalen?" You know, so, I'll just uh, all right. So. I- I'll send this down the pipeline when it's ready.
1: Very good, brilliant stuff. Yeah, uh, thanks, so much, Justin.
0: All right, and thank you, uh, Joe. But,
1: uh, don't don't be a stranger. Yeah?
0: For sure. You have a good night, man.
1: You too.
0: All right, folks, that's a wrap. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time.
1: Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs>